Oh, would you open your, the Bible again? Would you open the Word of God, however you access that? And stick your finger in, uh, right in Luke 18, 19. We're going to be there this morning as we, as we try and change the source of our identity. Our identity is not found in the things that we have, right? It's not found in the, in the degrees on our wall. Do you have one of those, an I love me wall, where you put all those things, right? I, uh, I got third place in a free throw shooting contest, right? Or something like that, right? You know, it's on my wall. My son was over at our house, and we're trying to get him to take all his trophies, right? And they're all over the place. And, and, and he just laughed. He, he, those, that's not my identity, right? And I said, well, recycle and do something with them, right? Um, no, all those things that we tried to find our identity with, right? Uh, and 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 if we will look up, right? Sometimes we're just so focused on, and we never look up. If we will look up, we discover that God has a new identity. In fact, that's going to be the focus of our whole uh, uh, Lenten season: our identity in, in Lent in Jesus. Right? We're going to find that identity in Him. But but is that the message that you're getting from the world? Right? No, no. Um, no, no, the world, including the, the press box and the Kansas City, you know, the world says something different. I, I ran across this quote, and it was attributed to, um, to, the, to a duchess in England, right, Wallace, and, and it said, you can never be, I, I think it was in existence from, from the garden, but the thing was, you can never be too rich or too thin. Right? Am I making that up? Is that a message in the culture? How many people have condemned themselves, have judged themselves, and this is just a little sampling. This is just two of the messages, right? They've condemned themselves and judged themselves because they didn't meet up with whatever. Um, and it's, it's fake. Most of the time that stuff is Photoshopped, right? Um, it's not real. Mm. I don't know, it's so emotional, David. Um, the, um, I was sitting, where was I? I was in um, the Grand Tetons uh, it, at uh, this favorite campground. Some of us were there last year, this campground by Jenny Lake, and, and I was at a ranger program. And the ranger program wasn't going to start for another 20 minutes or so, and so they were just playing music. And they were playing the, the best of the Carpenters. Anybody old enough to remember the Carpenters? Yeah. <coughs> I started crying like a baby in that thing, right? Uh, here's the secret. I had a man crush on Karen Carpenter, right? I, did, I, I, I didn't mean to draw that parallel, but thank you for bringing that up. Um, yeah. Um, I did. I did. And that's why in whatever, I can't even remember what it was, maybe 1983, I was destroyed because she died. It wasn't a car accident, right? It wasn't a disease. Well, what might, maybe it was a disease, but it was different, right? Why did she die? Anorexia. Anorexia, right? Here's the deal. I'm not a scientist. I'm not a medical doctor. But there's this phenomenon where, where um, you start to see yourself as, as too 
heavy, too, right? And, 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 and so you actually do amazingly good things, and you, you begin to overcome it, but, th- but then you can't turn that switch off, right? And I don't know if you saw pictures of her in the last months of her life. She was literally a walking skeleton who still could not see herself, right? Um, here's, the, here's the crazy thing, right? At the time when we enjoy the most abundant food supply in the history of the world, I'm going to say a lot of rash generalizations. I think I can back them all up, um, but, um, but I don't have time to go to all the, all the background to be able to support it. At a time when the, we have the most abundant food supply in the history of the world, the number of people starving themselves to death continues to rise, right? I'm not talking about hungry and starving. I'm talking about people choosing to starve themselves. Now, here's the irony, and, and please forgive me if I'm stepping on something, right, um, here. But the irony for, for anorexics is that they've already mastered the thing they were working so hard to achieve, right? They've already gotten very good at losing weight, right? But not only does Western culture and Encourage us to be thin. I think I think Wallace Simpson, the, the Duchess of Windsor, got it right, right? Not only does it encourage us to be thin, it encourages us to be rich. Now, I'm going to try and make a leap here, but follow me, right? Um, we understand that somehow we can lose track of reality in, uh, in our eating habits and starve ourselves to death. Um, the same thing is true with us. Our wealth, right? Um, our culture continues to pound that message that that you don't have enough, right? And and you've got to get more. There's whole industries that are built on the fear that you have that there won't be enough, right? Now let me just ask you for a second: Is God enough? Yes. Absolutely, right? You, so you see the problem, right? You see. The tension here. Um, our basic requirements have long been met. Have long been met, but our appetite for, for progress, for more wealth, hasn't begun to turn up. And when we look in a mirror, jump with me now, we see somebody in danger of extreme poverty. We don't see ourselves for how we really are. So here I go with some rash generalizations, but we live in the richest time of the richest nation in the history of the world. I think I left in your notes, my own note to myself here, disposable post-tax income per capita. You'll Google this and you'll find, no, there's 15 nations more wealthy than us. Not not with, with um, income that they can choose how that income spent. It is not close. I think Luxembourg is the second uh, by about $15,000 a year, right? It is not close. So, so we're automatically, right, rich by global standards, not just from our abilities, not just from the freedom, not just from the, the resources that we have, right? We... We are, in fact, if you can read, you are automatically, right? You are automatically in the upper echelons of all those who've ever walked the face of the earth, much less think, much less get creative, right? 
Let me, I, let me just hit a couple highlights here. We work five days a week. Now, some of you are automatically going, nope, I work six, right? We work five days a week for resources for seven. You following me? You see how that works? Isn't it funny? We don't think about that, right? Many of us have, have, have been able to have one wage earner for the entire family. I know that that's not true for everybody. I know that some of you are hard-pressed with two. Um, we've made choices to live at a different standard of living, but, but, but you have the ability to work five days a week for an entire family. Wow. Wow. To clothe them, to feed them, to shelter them. For seven days. Hit this going to rock your world. Google it afterwards, right? If you earn $37,000 a year, you by yourself, you personally are in the top 4% of the entire globe. Now, Google United States. You'll be in the top um, 75% in the United States, but of the globe, right? We're a relatively small portion of the globe. Of the globe, you're in the top four. Well, Pastor Dave, I just read in Wall Street Journal last week that that a huge percentage of people in the United States live below the poverty line. Uh, well, the poverty line moves, right? Please don't misunderstand me, right? Please, I'm not judging uh, our culture or, or you, but the American poverty line for a family of four is $30,000, right? Which uh, puts them in the top 75% of the globe. You see, we, our context changes how we perceive ourselves. We live in a wealthy nation and we judge ourselves based on those things around us. They, they did a study to say, how, you know, Tracy, if I just asked you real quick, Tracy just said, no, I'm scared. Um, are you rich? Nah, she, she goes, this, I smell a rat. He's going to come after me, right? You know, most of us, you know, but most of us, our initial reaction is we're not, right? Um, most of us. If I were to ask Tracy or if I were to ask you, what is rich? This is incredible. Almost universally, from the poorest of the poor to the wealthiest of the wealthiest, that people say, well, if I was rich, I would have two times the assets that I have right now. Isn't that crazy? People with half a million dollars or whatever say, I I would only be rich if I had a million, right? Right? Um, people with five million—I'd only be rich if I had ten. You know, people with a hundred dollars, right? Well, I, you know, I'd be really wealthy if I had two hundred, right? Isn't that isn't that crazy? Isn't that crazy? So, so I, my point is just to say we got to be careful because we live in a culture that is screaming at us things that are not true, that is screaming at us lies, right? Whether it be about our bodies or uh, or whether it be about our wealth. Um, it's screaming to us lies, and we kind of just gotten suckered into them. You know, I'm, I, I have a membership at a gym, right? I was over there yesterday morning getting ready to play some racquetball, and, and this, this guy older than me, absolutely chiseled, comes in there, and the whole time I'm playing racquetball, he's working, you know, uh, if, if I made my 
uh, judgment on my, who I am based on him. No, there will always be those people. Here's the danger with riches, right? We are so absorbed in our effort to get rich, we no longer realize, as you said, that we are rich, right? In myriad ways, but including financially. So, So the larger question for us, and the one I want to challenge you with today and in your small groups this week, is how do we understand then wealth or riches in light of the kingdom of God, right? So, so if we can, even for a moment, borrow the fact that we live in the wealthiest country, we are rich, what does that mean for the kingdom of God? Listen to this from Luke 18, the chapter right before us, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. I'm not getting emotional. I am horrified. Right? Because I have just convinced myself that I am rich, right? How difficult for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God, unless we need an example. He says, For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. That's pretty visual, right? Pretty visual. Then for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. There's a reference right there for you. Go back, because the disciples verbalize the same question that's on your mind right now. Well, then who can can do it? Who Who can enter the kingdom of God? Uh, And Jesus gave an amazing answer to him. It's not about you. Not about you. It's about what I can do, not what you can do, right? Jesus spoke about wealth, about money, about mammon, about stuff, right? We saw two weeks ago more than anything else in all of Scripture. Why? Could it be, could it be that it, It is the greatest threat to the kingdom of God in our hearts, right? Those other threats are real. And if you're struggling with them, I just want to encourage you, you're not alone. Um, There is help. Uh, I don't know why, but a disproportionate number of women, uh, I do know why, our culture, but, but struggle with with their body image, there are amazing godly women in this room who would love to walk beside you. You are not alone, right? But, but Jesus recognized that there is another threat to us, to the kingdom of God in our hearts, and that is mammon. That is stuff. So let me tell you real quick, and I apologize today, I'm just going to highlight one of the stories, partially because they're very familiar stories, but secondly, you can go to them immediately following our service. You can go to them and mine them for much more, uh, much more riches than I'm going to be able to mine here. But just one chapter back in Luke 18, uh, flip back with, with me if you would, Luke 18, 18, Jesus encountered a wealthy ruler. Now, it says ruler, but I think... Probably, judging by the context that we'll see, this was, this was a, a, a spiritual leader, right? Uh, and the ruler asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Are you with me? 18, 18. Now in verse 19. And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? <laughs> First of all, he's calling him out. You don't, you don't believe that I am the Messiah. Um, why are you calling me good? 
No one is good except God alone. Is Jesus good? Is he? Yes, he is. Is Jesus God? Yes, he is. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Check. Do not murder. Not recently, anyway. Do not steal. Well, I I do take pens from the bank all the time. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. You know the commandments, he says to this person, well-versed in Scripture. And, And the man says, I have kept all of those since my youth, right? I've kept them all since my youth. Did you notice anything missing in Jesus' list, right? About half of them, right? All the ones that had to do with this our relationship with God. You shall have no other gods before me. Wasn't there, right? Uh, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Wasn't there, right? Wow, wow. The man is kind of being drawn in, right? Jesus is drawing him in. I've kept all those. If, if uh, I, this was a grading period, I'd get a straight A, Jesus, on this, right? I would get a straight A on it. And then Jesus says, one thing you lack. Sell all you have and give it to the poor. I never want to take something away from God's word. I never want to add to it if I can help it there. That's why I felt that pause just for a second because I don't want to. Is Jesus saying to everyone, sell all you have? No, no, right? Is Jesus recognizing for this man that his idol, one of his idols, a big one, was wealth? We live in the richest time of the richest country that has ever graced the face of the earth, right? Or cursed, depending on how you look at it. We live in that time. So, wow. Wow. Well, you... What happened? Um, it doesn't, I noticed that just this morning that Luke doesn't um, say that he walked away, but Matthew does, right? He, he was, his face fell, and he walked away from the presence of the living God who he just called good. He walked away. Why? Because he had much wealth. Now, flip forward one page, right? Now we're in Luke 19 in our key passage for today. Now Jesus is in Jericho and, and he intentionally right, uh, calls out one of the most hated people in the city, also one of the wealthiest people in the city, probably gained his wealth at the expense of everybody else on that street. He calls him out. He says, I want to come into your life. I want to come into your home. I want to come into your heart. I want to come into every aspect of who you are. And and the man says, yes, he received him with joy. Right? I'm thinking condemnation is coming and it's coming hard, right? The man received him with joy. And then look what happened. Lord, half of my goods... I give to the poor. 
I'm, I'm taking my net wealth. I'm giving half of it away. If I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will restore it fourfold. Oh, wouldn't it be interesting just to, just to watch that guy go bang on doors, right? Uh, who is it? You know, it's, it's Zacchaeus. Go away. No, no, please open, open the door for me, would you? Uh, I have something very special. Go away. I never want to see your face again. And through the wooden door, Zacchaeus says, I know that I have cheated you. And, and I have, I'm repenting. And I'm asking your forgiveness. And I'm, I'm, I want to repay you four times what... <laughs> Wow, wow, a tale of two rich people. Do not hear. Now I'm going to go out. Well, I shouldn't say that. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit work in your heart, right? Um, Both of these men had as an idol their wealth, their their, uh, finances, their money, the stuff that they had, and and to both of them, Jesus came, but only one of them was changed as a result of it, right? We hear a lot about the cost of discipleship, right? Dietrich Bonhoeffer, an incredible uh, uh, pastor, um, a teacher, ran a secret seminary right under the noses of the Nazis in Germany, He wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship. It's an exposition of the whole Sermon on the Mount. Uh, It is thick and deep and hard and powerful. But Dietrich Bonhoeffer, when he was speaking about the call of God in our life, said when Christ calls a man, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said he bids him come and die, right? Take up your cross daily and follow me, this is true, right? Whoever, Jesus said in Luke 14, 27, and then later in 33, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Wow. Wow. And we press pause. There is no judgment or condemnation does the bible talk about investing does the the bible talk about being a good steward absolutely you're practicing that this week right you are practicing that we said last week very clearly god god entrusts 90 percent of your wealth to you to use on his behalf for the kingdom of god he only asks uh, initially of the of 10 percent right he he is entrusted that to you so 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 there is a, there's another way, right? Um, what Jesus is doing is messing with those of us who have made wealth our idol, right? To be Jesus' disciple is costly, right? It's costly. We saw that in both the cases of these men. In the case of the rich young ruler, right, the result was that he walked away sorrowful, because the cost of discipleship was so high, was so high. Let me put it differently: was too high for him. Right? Here's the deal. Oh, um, if you haven't discovered, you got several fans here in the room. Um, Dallas Willard. Um, 
his um, simplest thought is greater than my greatest thought. Uh, he's a philosopher, I hate to say it, at USC, um, rival for my, my Bruins, um, but more than that, a follower of Jesus who took his gifts and abilities to the college campuses and made a difference. He made a difference. And, and Dallas Willard famously said, um, when he was thinking about this, the cost of discipleship is high. But the cost of non-discipleship is greater. The cost of non-discipleship is greater. The, the Zacchaeus, the tax collector, uh, realized this, right? What was before him was discipleship or do I follow Jesus or not? There is a huge cost to me personally, reputation, everything else, finances for following Jesus, but there's a greater cost if I don't. And so the result was he joyfully gave away half his wealth to the poor. He repaid his fraud victims four times what he had stolen. I imagine there's still a ton left over, right? But for Zacchaeus, the cost of non-discipleship was too high. Come on up, worship team, if you would. Here's the deal. Don't count the wrong cost, right? I find myself thinking, what is this going to cost me financially when I should be asking, what is this going to cost my soul, right? Two men encountered Jesus. One was willing to lose his possession. The other was unwilling to keep them and lose his relationship with the living God. What made the difference? The thing that they treasured most. One treasured financial resources more than the presence of the living God. Each of them counted the cost. Each of them made their choice. What choice will you make? Remember, this was God's word to them. But you are students of God's word. You can go in there. The Holy Spirit will speak to you, right? What would, what would it cost the rich young man, to keep his possessions, right? Well, he lost the forgiveness of all of his sins and reconciliation with the Father. This is going to go by really fast. He lost the joy of having fellowship and communion with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He lost the empowering presence and joy of the Holy Spirit. He lost the profound signs and wonders and joy and strength and comfort from being a part of Christ's body and the everlasting fellowship with the Saints, the list goes on and on, beloved. He lost the privilege of participating in the destruction of the evil ones. Worse, he lost the unspeakable joy of knowing every precious gift and promise of God is a yes in Jesus. Oh, the list goes on and on. What he lost was a relationship with God. He chose money over God. And so chose inconceivably destitute poverty of soul, right? That's the tragedy of idolatry, putting something else in front of God. So in, in 1 Timothy, the Apostle Paul was trying to counsel him, and he kind of answered a question for me. Well, then what does God say to rich people? Don't be proud. He actually uses a, a, a stronger, don't be haughty, right? You're not any better because you live in the United States than 
uh, some poor family in Tijuana, right, living in a, in a tool shed that we built for them, right? You're no better than them. Don't be haughty, right? Be humble. Be humble. Don't set your hopes, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Timothy, on the uncertainty of riches, but rather on God who richly provides. Set your hope on God, not on the culture around you. Be generous to God. Be generous, right? Break the bondage of those things. If I was speaking to, a, to someone struggling with anorexia, I would say, eat, right? Eat to someone struggling with riches. Be generous to God and to the last and the least and the lost, right? Be generous to the ones God came for, right? Now let me end by just asking you a very hard question. What is it that's capturing your heart today, right? What is it that you find yourself lying awake at night worried about, right? Jesus simplified it, our food, our clothing, our shelter, right? What is it that you find yourself lying awake? What is it that brings you inexpressible joy? If, like the rich young man, if like Zacchaeus, something's troubling you, go to Jesus. Go to Jesus. Look to Jesus because he's looking to you. He's calling you down from the tree. If Jesus exposes an idol, something you feel that you can't give up in order to follow him, don't walk away. Please don't walk away. Your story can be different than that of the, of the rich young man, right? Don't, don't choose the poverty of any worldly gain over eternity, right? Where you... If you choose riches, you'll, you'll find no gain at all. I know I'm pushing this imagery too much, but, but if you're having trouble, if you're having trouble um, seeing the face of God in this, right? I'm touching a nerve, and, and, and yet you're having trouble. What did Zacchaeus do? He ran on ahead. He climbed up. He, he sacrificed his dignity. He sacrificed everything so that he could see Jesus face to face, so that he could hear his words, climb, run, uh, lay aside every burden, every sin that entangles, the author of Hebrews would say, right? Until Until you hear Jesus speak to you. Count, count the cost, beloved. Count the cost of discipleship, but count the right cost, right? Don't walk away. The cost of non-discipleship is much too high. Jesus put it this way. Whoever would save his life, her life, will lose it. But whoever loses his life or her life for my sake, will find it, the very Word of God. The very Word of God. Thanks be to God. Those aren't my words. Those are His. And in the words of one of my heroes, um, he or she is no fool who gives 
what he or she cannot keep to gain what he or she cannot lose. Oh, my goodness. God bless you richly as you risk opening your eyes to him, as you risk opening your eyes. And we just are talking about two idols today, but there's countless more. As you risk opening your eyes to the idols in your life. But don't miss in the midst of this. That God is looking to your tree. That God is looking at you who have judged yourselves and condemned yourself. He's saying, I choose you. I choose you. If you're like me, your response is, who am I? And I'm nobody. I'm nobody. That's not the point about who I am. It's about who he is. Amen? Let's worship together.